God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the 10,000 reasons that you give us each day to worship your name. Every morning is a new opportunity to experience your loving kindness and to experience again your faithfulness. You are God, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And this morning we take a moment to rest in that faithfulness, to quiet our hearts in recognition that you are here with us. together. Lord, hear our prayer. We are so often tempted to secure our own future, and it's hard to trust you when we can't. These days are especially hard when we can't plan for anything and when the future keeps changing and rearranging. Would you help us to remember that even in these times, each day is a chance to trust you again. Would you remind us that you want us to come to you with what we need, to trust the future that you have promised and secured for us? And would you help us to embrace our vulnerability so that we can experience more of one another and more of you? Together, Lord, hear our prayer. In that spirit, God, today we ask for what we need. Would you give us wisdom, patience, and energy to navigate relationships? Would you help us to serve one another, to make room for one another? Would you give us what we need for each day, whether that's bread or clarity or conviction or the ability to see how we've gotten things wrong? And we pray for those we love and for those in our lives who we know are struggling. We bring them into your presence and we ask that you would shine your light and love. together. Lord, hear our prayer. God, would you meet us this morning as we learn the lessons you've been teaching your people for generations, the ones we also need to learn? Would you form us with the story of your faithfulness? Would you invite us into deeper trust? We center ourselves again on you 
this morning, Jesus, on your love for us and your call on our lives to love one another. Amen. So before we jump into the teaching this morning, I have a spiritual practice as well as a few announcements. So just hang in there for a minute. So this month's practice, if you were here last week, you'll know is Engage Community. So last week, I encouraged you to go home and build and cultivate community with the people you love, um, with, in your workplace, in your home, by expressing thankfulness, expressing gratitude. This is a way to cultivate and engage community. Remember, it is not joy that makes us grateful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. But another way that we can engage community, that we can build community, is by serving one another. Um, when we look at Jesus, we see that he embodied this in his life, death, and resurrection. Laying down his life was the way that he built connections with people. Um, in fact, in one uh, passage in scripture, we see Jesus washing his disciples' feet, which he should not have done because he was the leader. Instead, he inverted the power structures and he washed the feet of the people who should have washed his feet. And he shows us by doing that, that serving one another is essential for forming us as followers of Jesus. This is part of what it means to work out our salvation. So this week, your task is to think of a way to serve someone else uh, close to you, whether it's in your home or your workplace or beyond. How can you intentionally sacrifice your time, your resources, your creativity to love and build relationship in your home or anywhere else that you live and work? Ask your partner what you can do to help them. Ask your kids what they need from you. Pay attention to the things that stress out the people in your life and then lean in and help them. Or even better, pay attention to the things that you like to avoid. Do you disappear when the dishes need to be done? I have a few of those in my house. They're not here to hear me preach to them though. Or do you disappear when the diaper needs to be changed? Instead, lean into those things, serve one another. That's your task. Another way, though, that we can build community is by serving alongside one another. As we work toward a common goal, uh, we build the relationship between us, but we also do something to work out renewal in the world. And so here's your second invitation. This year, we're partnering, partnering again, once again, with MCC to provide a way for our community to serve together and support those who really need it. So their initiative, Buckets of Thanks, supports people who are displaced by war, natural disaster, and political unrest. So we pack buckets with necessities like laundry soap and towels and hygiene products, and they go to locations where they're needed most. And you can participate in two ways. You can sign up on November 13th um, to help pack buckets. Time slots are 10 to 11.30 and 1 to 2.30, and spots are limited and they're filling up quick. So if you'd like to do this, I just suggest you do it quickly. Um, and you can do that by visiting the front page of our website. Or if you're not able to help pack buckets or you miss out on the opportunity, you can help us by paying for the buckets that we're uh, packing. So we're gonna donate $6,000 as a community 
3,000 of that dollar, of those dollars, is coming from our community care fund, but the other $3,000 we're raising um, through our community. So if you'd like to donate, you can go to lakeviewchurch.com slash give, and then uh, click the drop-down menu, and it'll say buckets of thanks, and you can donate that way, or you can put your donation in the give box and just mark it, buckets of thanks. So thanks for participating with us. Next week, Bishop Cliff, uh, the Bishop of the Free Methodist Church in Canada, will be here preaching. And after the service, there's an opportunity to hang out with him and get to know him better. Uh, lunch is provided and space is limited, and you can register for that by visiting the webpage. We have great news. We've hired a cafe and hospitality coordinator. Ali Denis joined our team this year, or this week. She's running the cafe, but she's also taking care of all of the things in the lobby and foyer that help to draw us together as a community. She is a great addition to our team. She has a great energy. So stop by the cafe and congratulate her and say hello. The kids are planning an amazing event on October 31st. Uh, families, you're invited to bring your kids here to the church from 2 to 4 p.m. We're going to have vehicles parked in the parking lot, decorated and giving out candy. So bring your kids and you can come and participate in that. There's going to be a light, laser light show in the gym and carnival games. It's going to be a great, great afternoon. So bring your family. But if you don't have little kids to bring, you also are invited to participate by volunteering to decorate your trunk, park in the parking lot, and just have a blast handing out candy to kids. So if you would like to do either one of those things, you can register or find out more information by visiting lakeviewchurch.com kids. Evening of prayer is happening October 27th from 7 to 8.30, and you're all invited. We're going to spend uh, some intentional time praying for our search team as well as our new lead pastor, so please join us. And finally, thank you for hanging in there with me, Sunday, November 21st is going to be a big party here at Lakeview while we celebrate believer baptisms and confirmations and child dedications and baptisms. So here at Lakeview, we hold two traditions together, uh, two traditions of baptism, child and believer baptism. So you can find out more information by visiting our website or looking at the journal starting on page 39, but I want to just give you a quick lowdown on that. So when parents choose to dedicate their babies, they look forward to the day when their child will choose for themselves Jesus and therefore baptism. Dedication reminds us that we respond to God's grace in our lives, that we choose Jesus. Faith is personal. Uh, and when parents choose to baptize their babies, they remind us that we serve a God who loves and chooses us long before we're able to respond to God. Grace comes first. And these kids grow up and they get confirmed when they come of age and when they choose Jesus for themselves. And we believe both of these traditions uh, say something really good and true about God and about us. So that's why we hold them together. So here's your invite. If you're a parent and you would like to have your child baptized or dedicated, visit our webpage and click the appropriate registration button and Darlene will follow up with you. And if you're an adult and you follow Jesus and you have yet to be baptized, now's the time to take the plunge. Or if you were baptized as an infant and you haven't been confirmed, 
maybe now's the time for that. So you can also visit our webpage and click the appropriate registration button and I'll follow up with you. And if you have any questions about any of this, please let me know and one of our pastors will follow up with you. Hey, it is my preaching shirt. This is the official league-sanctioned preaching church. Hey, everybody. So, we've been doing a series called Restart, and it's going to uh, take us uh, into November, and we're looking at stories in Scripture of those who, like us, have had to begin again. And uh, last month, you know, we were, one of our practices was Scripture reading, and it's something that I truly enjoy and something that I practice as a part of my life. And I want to keep reminding us of scriptural practices, ways of handling the Word of God. And uh, you guys have heard me say this before, but one of the reasons we pay attention to the scriptures is because we believe that God is always up to something through the text and in our world. God is operating in our world today. And so that's why we use the three worlds principle. Three worlds principle, of course, is there is a world behind the text. The text was written by people. It was inspired by God. It is, it is a sacred text. It, it speaks. It has power. There is the world of the text, which is the sort of uh, basics of the story. Who are the characters? What order of events is happening? And also, what are some of the features that the authors are putting in there to teach us? Okay, and then there is the world in front of the text. So that is the world you live in right now. The world you read this, this text through. You read it through what's going on in your personal life, and you read it through what's happening this week in the world. And we take these three worlds seriously because it helps us be better students of the Bible. Now, I uh, want to talk a little bit about uh, this particular sermon series and what makes it different than other kinds of sermon series we've done in the past. So sometimes we focus on books of the Bible. Okay, and that's where you're starting then with the world of the text and the world behind the text. But this sermon series is unique in that we are starting with an idea. An idea called restart. So we are in the middle of a series of restarts because of the pandemic, but also where our church is at. And so that has, the, the world in front of the text has actually dictated some of what we're doing. Does that make sense? You follow me so far? Okay, great. Great. So today's text is Exodus 16. And I want us to spend just a little bit of time working through this story together. Now, where are we at in God's story? Well, Kurt got us started last week. There was this burning bush, and this guy was asked to do a job. 
and which was to set God's people free. And so he went back to Egypt. He engaged in a confrontation with Pharaoh, and God engaged in a confrontation with the gods of Egypt. He set his people free. They took off into the desert. They walked through the Red Sea that was parted, and then it collapsed in on the Egyptian army. And now we're about a month into these desert wanderings, and this is where Exodus 16 takes place. This is the world of the text. So what's going on? Well, the whole community is starting to get frustrated with Moses and Aaron. And the frustration is around this particular thing, that there isn't enough to eat. Now, when you're wandering in a desert and you're about a month in, your provisions from Egypt are disappearing, and now you have to eat what is there. And they're in a deserted wilderness area, and there isn't a lot to eat. And so they begin to complain in the only way, in a way that they do repetitively. Okay, they complain a lot, these folks. They are God wrestlers, after all. That's, that's, that's their name. And so these God wrestlers have, have a funny way of complaining. I, I find these, these, these things hilarious when they say things like, were there not enough graves in Egypt that we had to come out into the open desert to bury each other? And now what they're saying in this chapter is they're saying, you know, I really wish God had killed me back in Egypt. I wish God had killed me back in Egypt because at least in Egypt, I got to sit around a pot of meat with my friends and I had enough to eat. Instead of coming out here with these two numbskulls, Moses and Aaron, and this God that seems to care nothing for us, we're going to die out here. And if I have to die, I would rather die around a pot of meat than out here in the desert. So Moses and Aaron are feeling the heat from this community, and they take their complaints to God. And God says, and I want to say this is a little bit ominous the way he says it, okay? His answer to these folks is, I am going to rain down bread from heaven on these people. That's good news, but it is a little bit ominous the way he says it, okay? And so what, what happens is, God sends this stuff, and every morning it, it appears on the ground. The people go out, they collect it, uh, and in the Hebrew, this word, they, they, they are a little bit perplexed by what this stuff is called. And in Hebrew, it's when, when you say, what is it? You say, man, huh. So that's where we get the word manna from. It's just a straight transliteration. Of, of this Hebrew word. So they go out every morning 
God has rained down bread on them, and they collect manna. And at night, quails descend on the camp, and they go out, and they collect those so that they have, they have meat to eat. And so God makes, has plans. God has plans for these God wrestlers. And he wants to turn them from slaves into people who are capable of living into the promise that God made to Abraham. Remember way back uh, uh, a few weeks ago when Allison was talking to us about Abraham. God makes a promise to Abraham. And the promise is that I will make you a great nation and through you I will bless the world. So God is engaging in a transformative action here. And it's through a daily practice where God provides for his people and the people receive from God. And he is doing this because he wants to move them from a slavery mindset to being capable of being a nation. A nation through whom God will bless the world. And so let's take a look at how this functioned in the, in the everyday. So this is from verse 17 to 20. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some gathered a little. And here's a mystery. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Interesting. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, don't keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen. This, you'll, you'll notice this is a pattern that happens with, with our dear God wrestlers here. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then, it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was angry with them. What you're going to find in the, in the story of Exodus, there is this kind of back and forth. The people complain. They express their needs to God. God provides. And it's an ongoing battle, a transformative encounter. It's a wrestling match between God and God's people. And here's another unique fact about the way that God was providing this food, this mysterious, miraculous food, is that every week there is supposed to be a specific day. What's the, what's the day called? Anybody know? The Sabbath. What happens on the Sabbath? Well, you collect twice as much the day before, and then there's no manna on the Sabbath, and, miraculously, the manna keeps one extra day on the Sabbath. So the people always have enough. And, it, and, the, and the, the story goes that even on the Sabbath, this is how these God wrestlers work, some still went out and searched for it, just in case there was just a little bit, just to, I, I need a little bit, can I get a little bit more? 
And every time they would go out to search, it was no longer there. It just wasn't available on the Sabbath. And then we, we close out the, the chapter with a story where Moses gets a jar. And he says, gather some of this manna and let's put it in the jar as a museum piece for future generations. They won't believe this story. So let's, let's show them how God provided. And so they preserve a little bit of the manna in a jar. Now, it's not in this particular passage, but I thought this week a little detail might, uh, might strike you uh, funny. Um, this process, this daily ritual of collecting manna, eating quail, day in, day out, these folks started to get sick and tired of eating manna and quail. And I thought, what better week to notice that complaint? Because I don't know about you guys, but I have had my fair share of turkey sandwiches this week. And I am getting a little bit sick of it. Uh, you know, turkey lasagna, turkey a la king. There's only so many ways you can do it. And then you kind of get irritated. I thought you could relate to that particular uh, moment a little bit more viscerally this week. That's the world in front of the text working on us. So that is the basics of the story. You can go home and you can read it. That's Exodus 16. Now, when did the book of Exodus come about? What, what caused it to be written? Well, these are stories that would be told generation after generation. And they would be told to the children. The children would memorize those stories, and then they would tell those stories to their children. And over time, throughout the centuries, a few of the stories would get written down, and they would be copied and copied and copied. But most scholars would, would imagine or would, would suggest that the book of Exodus actually came together um, during the period of the exile. You'll notice that's a common theme for the Old Testament and where scholars tend to think. So there's something going on. Um, and what's happening in the life of Israel is that they are trying to make sense of what has happened to them and what they need to do going forward. And so there's a couple of principles in this story that, that are core to Scripture. And I would actually suggest to you that this particular chapter, chapter 16, it makes an appearance in all kinds of places in the Old Testament. It, it, it shows up in the Psalms. It is part of God's speeches to his people to remind them who they are, who he meant them to be. It, it shows up in Paul's letters in the New Testament. And most importantly... This moment shows up in Jesus' prayer. You might have heard of it. The disciples want Jesus to teach them how to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Do you guys remember the line about our daily bread? It is a direct reference 
to this moment, this daily encounter with the provision of God. And the basic principle behind daily bread is that God has given you all you need for today. Yes, God has shown up in your past. Yes, God will show up in your future. But the only bread you get to eat is today's bread. You can't get your mitts on yesterday's bread or tomorrow's bread, but you can eat and be filled with today's bread. And that is a core principle that the, that the authors and the collectors of the story of Exodus um, wanted to get across. So this idea of God providing for you right here and right now. Now, this promise is a very sweet thought, and you could probably uh, 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 stick it on a wooden plaque and put a tasteful meadow or a flower behind it and sell it for $29.95 at the local Christian bookstore, if there still was such a thing. But the people in this chapter, I want to point out, they are living this promise on hard mode. I want you to think about that for a second. What would happen if God didn't show up one day? Or worse, what if God took a couple weeks off? What would happen? Well, people would die. They would die if God didn't show up for them. These people are incredibly vulnerable in this story. And this is the deep faith stuff you can see in the story, the, the sneaky stuff that they did to try and game the system a little bit. You, could, you can feel their vulnerability and their desperation in this story. Some would try to try and find some extra on the Sabbath, or some would keep it in their tent overnight in hopes that they could just protect themselves from their vulnerability tomorrow. And that is a core theme of this particular story. It's a principle. Because this is a core human temptation. It is to try to build your life without God at its center, or as its foundation. The facts are, we are vulnerable creatures. I can stuff myself silly on Monday at a turkey dinner, and it is doing nothing for me today. Did anybody notice that? Did anybody maybe overeat a little bit last weekend? Did it change your hunger this morning? No, it didn't. Because every day, you have needs that must be met. And the challenge of feeling our vulnerability is that we want to hedge our bets against God. We are often convinced that we will do a better job of caring for ourselves than God will do for us. This is a core human temptation. And some of us are tempted to look at the, our capacity to earn a living and to trust in the fruits of our labors and build a life where God is not required. If God wants to show up, that's nice. If God wants to 
to, to, to give us a little extra, that's, that's wonderful. But really, the food on my table, the roof over my head, the car in my laneway, the, the, uh, the employment that I have, that's something I did. And if God shows up and he does a little extra, that's very sweet and it's very nice. And this serves us, this way of thinking serves us in several ways. One, it allows us to take our stuff back from God. See, if we imagine, we manage to convince ourselves that we have earned what we have, then what happens with what we have, we have complete say over. Does that make sense? And the challenge with this is that if God can't break the back of my self-sufficiency, if, if, if God can't enter into my vulnerability, then this erodes God's capacity to bless the world through me. Am I making sense on that? You follow me? That part of generosity, part of Christian generosity, part of God-inspired generosity is a view of my possessions in which I see them not only as my thing, but as something that belongs to God. And it came from God, and so therefore it is my responsibility to use it in a God-honoring way. But if I earned everything I have, then God doesn't have to be a part of that equation. And so there is a dimension where God is trying to squeeze himself in to overcrowded lives. See, God wanted to shape these slaves into a generous people, people who were capable of being a blessing to others. But if they thought that they had achieved everything, their exodus from Egypt, their them establishing their nation, if they believed at the core that they had done all of those things, then they would have acted like every other nation does. But God is trying to do something very different and specific. There's another principle here at work, and it's the principle of withness. Did you hear me? I didn't, I didn't lisp there. The principle of withness. One of the strange things about God. We call God Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's something we celebrate at Christmas. Withness is something that sets God apart from other gods. God wants to be with you in your life. He wants to be with you as you struggle to earn a living. He wants to be with you as you make decisions about the things that you have. He wants to be with you in all of the stuff. And this story is a demonstration of God's desire to be with us in the wilderness, in the desert. And then finally, and this is something that's kind of unique to the authors of Exodus, is that they wanted to point out that politics and religion can sometimes be a substitute for God. Imagine that. Religion can act as a substitute for God. How does that happen? 
Well, you begin to worship the rules and regulations. You begin to worship the worship, the ceremony, the practice, and you forget that it's connected to a person. And one of the things that Israel was struggling with in their life is, is a, it, it, they ask this key question. The question is this, and I think it's a brilliant question. They were asking themselves in this story, how long would it take you to notice that God had stopped showing up for work? How long would it take you to notice? Based on how you live your life right now, I think that's a good question for you. You just take that question, tuck it away in your heart. We'll deal with it in just a few minutes here. But for the nation of Israel, the answer to that is pretty long. Because their history was one of many kings, many prophets, many chances to make God the center of their lives, to go, for God to be their God and for them to be God's people. Literally centuries had gone by. And they, in, they witnessed the slow decline of their, of their own kingdom, they became re-enslaved. And this, this was their core challenge, is that they didn't notice that God had stopped showing up. One of the prophets said this. He says, I hate your festivals. I hate when you sing. I hate it when you practice your religion. Because your religion has nothing to do with me. I'm not present in it. If I were, it would change how you treat the poor, how you treat foreigners, immigrants. It would change how you treat other people, vulnerable people. That's how I know I'm with you. And so this was a key question for Israel and it was one that they were trying to answer. So what does this have to do with a community of people that are constantly restarting? How do we practice daily bread in our lives? Let me give you a couple of examples. First off, you're going to have an opportunity to do this today. And you're going to have an opportunity to do it tomorrow and the next day. Because every day you push the power button on your body, you lay it down, and then your operating system comes back online in the morning, and this is your chance to restart. It's your chance to prepare yourself, to go looking for daily bread. And you get this chance every day. What will you center your thoughts on for today? What will you center your heart on? today? How will you start today? This is your opportunity to eat daily bread. So that's just some basic Christian 101 versions of, of what restart looks like. And I could tell you that this is not easy. Because it doesn't occur to me very often 
to center my thoughts. I, first thing I do every morning is look at Reddit, which is, you know, inviting human pollution into the deepest corners of my soul constantly. But tomorrow, I have a chance to do it differently. Does that make sense? You follow me? A little bit quiet. You're freaking me out just a little bit. I need some energy to come back at me. I'm, I'm weird like that. Let me tell you that the pandemic is a perfect opportunity to do restarts, to practice daily bread. Have you ever noticed that during this pandemic, that the future rots inside your tent constantly? Have you noticed the maggots on your future plans? Have you noticed the stench coming from them? I can't plan anything, you people. I tried to plan a Christmas party this week with my staff. Can't do it. Because we don't know what's going to happen. And there is nothing more frustrating and irritating than not being able to do simple stuff like plan a Christmas party. I'm going to be part of a conference last week. Or next week. Yeah. It's happening next week. And we planned it for an in-person event. Foolhardy, hopeful twits that we were in February. Just so full, like this pandemic, it will be behind us. The third wave, woo! That's, woo. Thank God that's over. Now, on to the conference. Well, it's all online. And guess when we had to make that decision? Well, when Alberta, which is where the conference is going to be, uh, changed the public health regulations in September. And so we went like that. Restart. Restart. Now, you can get irritated by that, which you have my permission to be irritated by that. But it is a beautiful opportunity to also practice daily bread. When the future keeps rotting inside your tent, if you have restarted for the 11 billionth time in the last two years, consider these words. We have today and that's it. And today is enough. And today is good. So let's celebrate that we have today. Many don't have even that right now. There are people in an ICU not far from here, that may not even have today. And that is the reality of our lives. And daily bread exists for us, regardless whether there's a pandemic or not going on. God has put in front of you daily bread. I suggest you eat it. Tomorrow's bread does not belong to you. Yesterday's bread, today's bread. And then finally, we're people on a pastoral search. And this is the perfect time to practice daily bread because there's a temptation to get ahead of ourselves and put everything on hold until our future leader gets here. Now, I'm sure that she is a very nice lady and she will have a lot to bring to the table, this future leader. I mean, it could be a man. Men can be pastors too. Or men, or men. 
But there is daily bread. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Last week, we prayed for our future leader. I'm glad we decided to do that because that person exists. Now, unless we are planning to hire a baby, that person exists right now. I don't recommend hiring babies. They're very cute. They make great movies about being the boss baby, and it's very cute and all that. But in reality, you don't want a baby leading this church. This is my professional opinion, but, you know, whatever. We'll leave it up to the pastoral leadership task force there. But So here are some things that we could be doing right now. We can pray for our pastor. We're going to do that before we even know who they are. There's a good chance they don't even know that they are our future pastor today. But there are things going on in their life that is shaking them loose from where they are. And I want to put something else in front of you, not just that this person exists, but you are here. You exist. We are already a church. And God wants to shape our lives so that we can be a blessing to this city. And when that pastor arrives, I want us to be leadable. I want us to be ready to be led. Are you following me? There's something that God wants to do in us today and tomorrow and in this interim period to shape us into the kind of people that can be led, that can be led into God's intended future. So I want to put that in front of you as project number one. And then there's one more thing I want you to do. One more thing. And that thing is this. There are... uh, This pandemic has been hard on a lot of us. The restart, the restart, the restart. But there is a unique way, a unique burden that the leaders in this church have paid through all that restarting. And I want you to find your pastors here. I want you to find people on the board. I want you to find volunteers and I want you to thank them. Because they have carried the burden of this pandemic in a unique way. And sure, we can grumble about manna and quail. These folks have had to go in front of God to ask, what do we do now? How do I lead in this wilderness? How do I feed people where there is no food? God, please show up. I'm not saying nothing happened to you. I'm saying in a unique way, your leaders here have walked through this time in a difficult way. So please, seek them out and thank them for leading so well. Receive this blessing from me. Jesus, you have promised us that you will meet our needs. So let us come before you boldly to express ourselves to you. What do I need today? And God, you, Father, you have promised that you renew your mercies every day. There's something brand new about you that we can discover. So Spirit, illuminate those parts.
Show us where to find daily bread today. And help us learn this daily rhythm and practice. In your powerful name, I pray.